Hi, friend. Welcome to the Olive Branch Mom Podcast. My name is Bridget Adler, a Catholic mom of four turned religion teacher. Each week, you'll hear interviews, tips, and strategies to grow in faith and find peace in the chaos, while we extend the proverbial olive branch from one spiritual viewpoint to another. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump right into it. How are you? Good. Good. It's Friday. It's, it's almost Friday. school year. Can you believe um, it? Yay. When's Cameron done? Cameron is not done because she's in daycare and she's in August school. So. Isn't she in preschool? Remember that? <clears throat> she's in preschool now. Yeah. Yeah. But are they officially done preschooling? Um, they have graduation. Um, Seventeenth, which which she's excited about. On what day? The seventeenth. The seventeenth. Oh boy. So, what chapters are we tackling this week? Um, we're talking about chapter ten and eleven, Holy Day and Holy Day in the Sacred Hour. Ooh. So we're talking about time as a concept and how God exists in time and outside of time as a creator of time. But then he also talks about the Sabbath. And I think this really ties into a lot of what we're doing um, with a lot of different concepts within the stillness diet. And I think we did discuss it in one of our other podcasts on one of the, I don't remember which one, but the concept of keeping a day of rest, which he discuss, discusses in this chapter too. And it says on page 52, he's talking about because precisely because Sunday is not a product of the natural life rhythm, it is vulnerable. It, the merely natural somehow manages to assert itself. So it's easily destroyed because we're trying to meet other important natural needs, like economic, social, whatever have it, have you shoved aside. And you'll see, you know, a lot of people will talk about this because they actually, a lot of people talk about how Wednesday used to be like the day that was always, nothing was scheduled on that day because people would have their religious education on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. But now it's, there's less people concerned about that. So things are getting scheduled on Wednesdays and sporting events are getting scheduled on Sundays, even Sunday mornings, just because less people are being bodies in church now. So it's not as big of a consideration, but mm-hmm. people that are bodies in church feel very pushed aside and conflicted because the choice for their child is between going to religious class on Wednesday night or going to a baseball game. I mean, which one looks more attractive? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you're inherently creating a struggle for the parent who's trying to educate their child, but also keep the peace in their home. So, you know, naturally, I think it depends upon your strength of conviction here, but when you have barriers, it's easy to give into those barriers. So if the day, like such a Wednesday night, for example, isn't set aside or a Sunday morning isn't naturally set aside by the, you know, your culture, your world, your community, then you're instantly causing some, some issues. So I can kind of, I can relate to what he's saying, because it is, Sunday is a vulnerable day. And right above it, he's saying to keep the Sabbath is to become aware of the mystery of divine rest, to revere it and to express it in our arrangement of the day. And Thinking of the arrangement of the day, <clears throat> some people, depending upon what faith you are at, like they want to set aside the entire day for no work. And some people, they go to the you know church service and that's it. But I know we've talked more about setting aside specific time to be renewing yourself, which is what this day of rest is. Anything you want to say about that? I mean, I think 
hearing you talk about it is interesting. I think so. Yes, there's always going to be a conflict. That day is always vulnerable. And I think it's vulnerable whether you're religious or not. You know what I mean? Because even if even if you've set that day aside, sort of as like a family day, it's still vulnerable, right? Because there's still things that sort of pull you. And I think the, the comment you made about the strength of your conviction, I mean, I keep coming back to this, right? Of like, you know, it's for you. It's not something that's being done to you. It's actually for you. And I think sort of creating the time and making that intentional space of like, this is what this day is going to mean to me um, can be hugely beneficial. And it's also extremely hard because the way of the world is not to sort of recommend. And I've had my moments too, where I'm like, why is this closed? It's like, it's Sunday. I'm like, who cares? It's another like, oh man, don't they want my money? So it's like, I get that sort of the world has moved on in this very 24 seven sort of culture and mentality. So it's even harder, right? Even if you're not religious to find the time to sort of pull away. We also talked about how being too strict with Sabbath stresses us out more. Remember like rushing to do our errands on Saturday and like, oh, I can't, I can't work on Sunday. So I have to get everything done, like causing more anxiety. And I think it's just more of a, I don't think it has to be, everyone celebrates the Sabbath differently. So I'm interested in his suggestion or guidance based on how we approach the day. Cause I think a draconian or a too loose um, appreciation of it doesn't get you anywhere. I think there's gotta be somewhere in the middle. Well, he does say too, on page 53, the day is important for the individual, but above all for the family. We must understand what is at stake, realize its value for us, and tackle the problem as energetically and as wholeheartedly as we do other matters important to us. Because, and that goes back to what you were just saying about, like, this is for us. Like, this is something to benefit us. us. It's like a punishment style thing of, like, we can't do anything on Sunday. No, it's like you're finding the meaning and the value and then experiencing that and then wanting it to repeat in your life. You, you can only see this repeat if you set aside this purposefully as a time that you're going to be doing something. Yeah. And I know we've talked to like kind of like the rebellion against the idea of scheduling or structure or um, just how they sometimes that can feel like it's infringing on our, our spontaneity or sense of freedom and whatever else. But, you know, once you turn the corner and realizing that the scheduling is allowing you more freedom and more spontaneity in the moment, because you're setting aside real time to live your life. That's like kind of a big turning point for a lot of people. Yep. I agree. Turning point. Turning point. So what do you think? uh, There was a really interesting statement that he said, let me see if I can find it here on page 50. God created the world which exists in time. Thus he is present in all time, even in its smallest and largest fraction. God fills them all. And no one period is holier than another. Hmm. I love that. I think this is when we're really going to, you know, challenge our intellect when we talk yes. about time existing, time being everything. I think what he's saying there, um, my interpretation of that is, um, there's this is like off repeated Zen story about, you know, this like, Zen monk searching for enlightenment and he goes to like a butcher and he's like, okay, I want like your best cut of meat. And the butcher goes, every, everything I offer is the best. And at that moment, the monk was enlightened because he realized every moment's the best moment. So I feel like this is that allegory, right? Every moment shares that same level of holiness and every moment, like, I think that's, to me, that's what he's um, getting at here. 
And I think the concept of the Sabbath is really to lean into that, into, into that boredom in some ways of like not having the job, the thing, the game to go to, and to be sort of, again, forced into stillness as you and I often talk about. Um, I think that's a key part of it, but that to me is what I took from like moment to moment, every moment sort of being equal in that, um, that immediately came to mind. What about you? Oh yeah. I mean, this whole chapter, especially the very beginning kind of, it relates a lot to what, you know, Montessorians will, you know, talk of as cosmic education. Mm. And that sounds really like out there. Ooh, cosmic. Cosmic. Cosmic space. Well, it's about where we are in time and in the world and having that larger view and educating people to that or your children to that as to like why we exist in time right here and what has gone before, what we're looking forward in the future in terms of what we know of God's plan. And they talk about it a bit um, on, you know, they're calling out about how one of the days God rested and they're, they're saying at the bottom of page 50, he is, when and what period did the stars, plants, and animals come into existence? Week does not signify a period of time in the ordinary sense of the world. It is word. It is rather a symbol for the wise, humanly intelligible order in which creation took place. <laughs> so, you know, it's this, and they're just discussing the idea of a divine repose where we can't mm. quite wrap our mind around it because it is a mystery again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, they're talk. I, I think it's really, there's a lot of deep stuff in this chapter for sure, because yes. we're trying to contemplate somebody that is omnipotent, existing beyond time. And they say, you know, he's also in existence, but he's also the one in action. Yes. Too. And um, on the bottom of page 41, it says, God alone can sanctify a period of time by personally entering into it. I am in time because I live and unfold in time, act in it, experience destiny. But are such things conceivable of God? Our answer is spontaneous. No. God lives not only forever, but eternally. His life has nothing to do with time. He neither grows nor declines, develops nor changes, all that would involve time, but realizes his infinite essence, holy and perfectly in purest actuality. He did create time as he created everything else that exists. More correctly, he created the world, which exists in time. Like that is like a really interesting thing to talk about with children, because as they get to certain developmental stages, they become a lot more aware of the concept of time and of the mm -hmm. length of time. So it's mm -hmm. really fascinating to talk to children about you know, Jesus existed on this world 2000 years ago and it was a different world then. Like they didn't have cars, they didn't have phones, you know, like <laughs> those yep. simple little things. Well, yeah, because like this week the Catholic Church celebrated uh, the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. So Mary, it says in the, in the Gospel of Luke, she set out in great haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Like, okay, sure. Like, you know, you read that, you're like, okay. She's moved. She went somewhere, but it's like really, really far hundreds. of It's like a hundred miles. <laughs> and it doesn't say in there, like, did she go alone? Did she have a donkey? Probably not. Cause yeah. she's poor, right. And yeah. like, how did she do that? Like she, and how long did it take? And it's, it is. And if you look at the topographical map, which we have in the atrium, 
it's like you see like this is mountainous terrain you know she didn't just take like this quick little route like down the street like and then to talk about kids with it you're like that would be like us walking to a different state you know like yeah. on foot <laughs> what like, how did she navigate <laughs> like did she have traveling companions I would hope you know I mean that's a long way for a young girl to go on her own right but the bible doesn't tell us that it allows us to wonder and to ponder yeah and think about yeah. what that journey could have been and she arrives in time like you know because she stays with elizabeth for three months and then the john the baptist is born so she makes it in time to like be there for her kinswoman so to speak and participate in that birth and then she leaves she goes back to her home after the baby is born but like did elizabeth know she was coming probably not like <laughs> You know, was she able to send a message with somebody? I don't know. You know, it's like that mm-hmm. stuff is really fun to ponder and think about because when you tell the kids, you're like, wow, that looks really far on the map, huh? And then they're like, oh, you know, like the idea of them not having a car or them not having a phone to contact people or mail even. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, how did how, she just shows up? Yeah. <laughs> what a life, right? I mean, imagine that. Like, we don't even want people to show up right now without texting. No. It's true. Imagine like up and staying for months at a time. Yeah. Can you imagine being like just showing up at your friend's house like right now, like a doorstep <laughs> without texting first? You know, I guess Maybe. it's like no, just complete. You know, here's the other thing too. You know, you forget a world without all of our entertainments is a world that probably company was a lot more appreciated than it is now, right? Because now we have so many options, but back then there were was not, right? So it's like if someone for three months it's like oh thank god someone new to talk to you know what I mean right and then when you think about like an angel appearing to someone in all of its glory like the the adoration of the shepherds when the angels appeared and a multitude of the heavenly host appeared imagine how horrifying and like awe-inspiring that must have been like these people have never seen special effects in a movie theater right And they're just shepherds out in the field with their sheep, you know, and all of a sudden a multitude in the heavenly. And so, like, the kids love to contemplate what that must have felt like. Cause, like, you ask the questions of, like, what do you think they felt? What do you think they thought when this appeared? And they're like, oh, scared or happy or, you know, they have all their different ideas. They put themselves into the story, which was really fun. And so, this kind of stuff, I like this deep kind of stuff of like, pondering and inserting myself into some of these thoughts because they're mind puzzlers to think about something existing outside of time when we are so tied to time like every are especially yes. it's our american way right yeah like down to the second yes. we schedule things we want to feel things we want to be on the move you know my other favorite time bender is you know when jesus is talking about he's like you know when moses hit the rock i was there i love and I'm like, what does he mean? It's just like so cool. Sort of like, I was there. I'm there now. I'm here with you now. It's like, how is this possible? Um, but I think what we know more about time is, you know, even from the secular world and science confirms a lot of this. This is basically time is sort of a made up thing anyway, mm-hmm. which we need to sort of like function. But I think it's cool how our understanding of it sort of gets in that dreamy world of sort of pondering the other thing that's interesting, I've been doing some reading about um, sort of like the history of the days of the week. We didn't always have a seven day week. Um, I think Egyptians have like a 12 day week. Mm. Even our concept of time now, we have to fidget it because the earth doesn't respond to it. So sometimes like 
depending on the tilt and the spin, we're a few seconds ahead or behind than we should be in order for the time to work out. So they will actually make adjustments, second adjustments to the clock. So even our own concept of time, I like how everyone thinks these things are so solid. They are not, they're not. And I think seeing that and understanding that and being forced into sort of the stillness of the natural rhythm of the world, which I think is part of part of what the Sabbath is about. Let's get into the second chapter maybe and read a little bit more, but I think that's, I think that's a, it's almost like a calling back away from time to a separate space that doesn't respond to scheduling and, you know what I mean? All the things that sort of tie us to this world. Well, I mean, just the concept of when is Easter going to be like, yes, this and to level three atrium, they did a whole work about it where they had they're calculating for themselves because it has to do with the equinox and this and that and it's like yeah. different every year yeah. and it's not tied into our typical calendar no year. and you notice so many of these things are based on so many of these things so the days of the week sunday is named for the sun each day of the week was originally named for a planet right saturn day we are so yeah we are so linked to a larger world than earth and a larger being, you know what I mean? Like, even if you don't, you know, a sort of ascribe to any sort of one religion, you can acknowledge the fact how powerfully our ancestors viewed the world around them, not just the earth, the world, everything, right? Because all of these different astronomy happenings. And at that time it was no astronomy. There was astrology that was part of how they lived their life. So it's cool that the sabbath invites us to investigate that within ourselves because it's just part not part of our culture and if it is it's very segmented now what you were saying is reminding me of this book that i read last summer which i love it has i feel like a relatively unfortunate title because it sounds like something i i would never want to read it's called Uh-oh. would you it's called would you baptize an extraterrestrial an extraterrestrial that sounds awesome <laughs> yeah however it's like it sounds really like something I would not necessarily pick up, but oh. it's about, it's two Vatican astronomers. They're talking about all these different places where science and religion meet. meet and it is yeah. fascinating. There many. And there's, yeah, a that sounds chapter, cool. there's a couple chapters about how, you know, what's what it's just interesting that there's Vatican astronomers to begin with, but like also, <laughs> you know, here they are talking about like how the different views of, people in ancient times were extremely logical based on what they could observe. Like we look yes. back and we're like, how could they have thought the world was flat? Well, I mean, they were basing on what they could observe at the time. It was perfectly natural and logical to have assumed that. And then yeah. how we kind of slowly evolved into realizing that we're revolving around the sun and yeah. <laughs> not the sun being part of the, but like they were so tied into what was going on with their observable view of space and how yeah. that related into so many pieces of their lives. Now we are, um, this is kind of a fun activity if anyone's interested in doing it. If they're interested in space, but they want to kind of just get their feet wet at looking at the sky at night, you can sign up on the NASA website for spot the space station updates. Oh, cool. And this is super fun. So like you can sign up to be notified about when it's coming by in early morning or in the, at nighttime. So it could be any time after like sometimes we've gotten notifications. It'll be at like uh, over our area at like 9.41 PM. Cause I only do the nighttime one. Cause I'm like, eh, no one's going to be up in the morning looking at this with me. But, and then sometimes it'll come by at like past 11 PM, but you can sign up. It'll tell you which direction. They'll be like South, Southwest, 
traveling this direction. And then you go up and you look <laughs> in the sky with your kid or whoever, and you can see it and it's moving and it's moving so fast. And then, you know, Finn and Lexi are like, wow, can you imagine how fast it must be moving if we see it moving this fast? And you can watch this like bright light moving across the sky with a little bit of blinking lights in there. And then you're like, wow, that was a space station pass. There it went. And then you're also out there kind of like looking at the sky and the stars and stuff. But you don't need to be out there with like an astronomical chart, you know, where you're yeah. like, okay, yeah. here's the Big Dipper. <laughs> but it gets you out and it gets you looking at the sky and kind of connects yeah. you to that external space reality, which is super fun. So I highly and recommend I think, that. That's on NASA. And I feel like those are the types of things that like the Sabbath encourages, like that type, that sense of wonder and that sense of link to something universal. That's that I feel like that's sort of the reverence that we need to open ourselves up to, because again, that's for us too. And there are so few moments in our week, honestly, where we ponder those types of things, but carving out a Sabbath allows that sense of wonder and connection, right. To sort of like what came before? What's our, just like what you were saying, what came before? What is my place in this sort of beginning in the end infinity sort of like just having those moments to sort of wonder and having one day a week to do it. Like that to me is a lot of what he's talking about here. Well, you know, again, I'm thinking of the whole concept of cosmic education again, which is just where are we in time and space? Yeah. And when you're with a child, like there's, it's amazing how they can orient themselves to that as they get just even in, you know, three to five year olds are starting to think these ways or think about time in a different way. As you get older, of course, it's like more developed. However, it is really interesting to sit and ponder this with children because it's not something that we really talk a whole heck of a lot about. We're concerned about the here and now, the right now, today, tomorrow kind of stuff. And we're like in our like, we zoomed into the schedule pretty tight, <laughs> you know, like what's, what's happening today? Where am I in time and space? It's not something we're sitting around chit-chatting about over lunch necessarily. No. Yeah. So it is like a really fun orienting like thing. It's like, oh, you know, here we are in this, in the world. And like, what does that mean for us? And yes. it, it is really, I like talking about philosophical things like that too. It is very much fun. Yeah. But to me, that's a Sabbath like activity, right? It's like, that to me is that reference that you're sort of connecting to something greater than yourself. But again, it's a set time to sort of ponder that. Yes. So like in the, in the next chapter, chapter 11, Holy Day in the Sacred Hour, they're talking about how they're tying in the divine repose of the Sabbath with the triumph of the resurrection, promise and fulfillment becoming one. It says on page 55, for the Sabbath looked back in eternity to the beginning. Sunday looks forward in eternity to the end, to what is to come. So this new world born of Christ's deed and one day to be revealed in eternity. So we're looking forward to when Christ will come again and be all in all, like the, the veil will be lifted. You know, we will be, you know, one with God in the second coming of Christ. So they call it parousia. So that's when Christ comes again and everything will be all in all. So on the celebration of the mass, it's tied into Easter Sunday when Christ rose again. And it's this new day, this new work of creation, this new man and a new heaven and a new earth will come with Christ's second coming. So they're tying in just the what we are actually doing if you're going to mass on Sunday 
you know, what, what's happening with that? What are we celebrating? Cause, and it's tied into just this eternity of Sabbaths. And I think it's pretty fun to talk about with kids too. Like if you're going to church on Sunday, mass on Sunday, just think about, are you the only people going to mass today? You know, ask the kids that no, no, we're not. Are people in Spain? Are they going to mass today? Yeah, they might be, you know, (laughs) or Mm -hmm. even like two, like next town over, are they too? And there's something like really wonderful and fun to ponder about the fact that we're all participating, like not all of us, but there's like a bulk of people participating in this, Mm -hmm. you know, and what that means. It's like that solidarity or that commonality and a unity that you can feel with people that are doing like behaviors or like experiences that can be kind of fun to think about too. Oh, totally. Because again, um, and he talks about this in some of the earlier chapters, sort of your body as you enter and um, receive mass and how that is, you prepared yourself. Remember we talked about that in the previous, like all these things you're doing to prepare yourself. So you don't think that that type of energy that you bring that other people can feel is palpable and can really create a lot of good in the world. I totally believe that stuff. A hundred percent. The energy you're bringing, go to a jail and feel the energy there Mm. and go to a mass. And there is a difference. You will feel a large difference, right? So that I think is a lot of what you're talking about is even though you are separated geographically, as we've learned here, time is time, which is related, I think, to distance in many aspects, right? You are not far away from those people. They are with you as you are worshiping. They are with you. You are them. Like it's everything is one, everything's together. We're all connected to the same fabric. So I definitely hear what you're saying. And I think it's very fun because I think that can enhance your experience too, right? Of like, if you're opening, if you're open enough to understanding that people celebrating mass in Spain or at the Vatican can feel you as you celebrate and participate, well, isn't that like, A, it's a cool thought, but B, like it will enhance your participation, knowing that and feeling that connection. Oh, absolutely. It's really funny too, because my coworker just got back from a trip to uh, Greece and Italy. And she, um, there's, I guess on Wednesdays, you can have an audience with the Pope and the Pope will come out in his Pope mobile and with his cards and he'll circle around in this area and he'll bless objects that you have, but he'll be in his Pope mobile going by. And so she sent me a video of him, like going by in his Pope mobile. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there he is. There there he is. So it's like that idea of like someone that you think is so remote. It's like, you can like literally see the Pope if you want, like this, like figure that is going to be, it's a historical figure. He's going to be written in the annals of history. He's like a major player in the world stage. He's the head of the Catholic church. And here he is just going by his Pope. There he is, blessing stuff. He's like six (laughs) feet away, six feet. Like that's like the distance between me, like two people talking, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's the book. Like he's real. You can go see him today. You know, like that's yeah. that's like super cool when you think about like how far removed we can be. But if we really want, we could, we're not as removed as we as as it seems. So yeah. I wanted to also call out the very end of this chapter 11. I think it's really interesting because they're talking about how the mass has a temporalness it has a beginning a continuation and then an end it's like a brief he calls it a brief portion of time enfolding eternity Mm. so at the very end he says it's important to experience a passover of the sacred moment emerging from eternity it catches us up into itself and while it lasts we are different from what we are at other times 
Then it dismisses us and we fall back into the transitoriness of day-to-day -day existence. But if we have vitally participated in it, we take with us the seed of that holy eternity, which comes from the resurrection and our life in the transitory world is changed. And just think about how many times you've taken a seed of something and it has changed you for the day or you for the week or you for a year. Like, you know, there's these things that happen in time, this transitory moments passing over, he calls it a sacred moment and we're caught up in it. And it exists, if we vitally participated in it, we carry it with us and it changes us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It has the capacity to, if we've opened ourselves and prepared ourselves to be part of it. And I think there are always moments where we have an under, gain an understanding, pondering something, feel connected to something. Is that sustainable like for 24 seven? No, it's not. But I think just getting glimpses of it. And again, the reason for the set aside, it helps you move through the rest of the week, right? Like those moments of feeling that intense connection and that energy that's when you come out and you're like, oh, I feel so good right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, oh, I feel amazing. What a great day. And it sort of bolsters and feeds the spirit for the rest of the week. Yes. And I think a lot of what we're talking about continually feeding our soul in a way that we are able to take things that are good with us into our lives and benefit from it and then feel better for it. Consciously doing that is like the real self-care, I would say, because I feel like self-care is having such a moment, you know, where everyone's talking about self-care and what we can do for our self-care, but like the true self-care is the stuff that we're, that makes a real impact. It's not the band-aid stuff that we're talking about. You know, it's these long-term things that really affect our well-being from a heart level too. Yep. I agree. I had a coworker who had an anger problem and I guess he read somewhere that like green tea helps like calm me down. So he would just would walk around the office, still angry, holding a cup of green tea. And I remember at the time being like, you've gone about this. It's like, again, band-aid, like it's, it's, this is the wrong direction. I appreciate the, the effort, but it's like, <laughs> that, that is like anger is a, is an inward job. It's not a green tea. Like green tea will not solve this problem. You know what I mean? Green tea solution. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe solution. if it was tied into reminding him to for techniques to control his anger, like every there time you go. He his green tea is like a touchstone, yep. if you will. But yeah, but I, I really think I doubt it. <laughs> that, you know what I mean? It's almost like this magic potion approach. Yes. Like, oh well, if I take it, it says if I take a bath, I'll be calm. Or it says if like people, like you, I think you said it best, like looking for a band-aid or an anecdote when really it's an inside job and how do you approach the inside job by starting inside <laughs> like <there's, laughs> and, and, but that's a very, can be extremely painful, deal, you know, depending on what you're dealing with. But as we've walked through sort of this process, I think there's a way to do it safely to really make sure that you are unpacking what's going on with you and knowing yourself better in a way that's a safe environment. That's going to be an environment that's supportive to you you know, in a church surrounded by other people attending mass, you can feel vulnerable, right? That's an okay place to be vulnerable. There are certain places you might not want to do that, right? And that's rightly so, but it's a, it's a safe place to do your self-care. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, we have about uh, five minutes left. So we should, we talk about next week, next week, what are we doing next week? Well, the next chapter is called the sacred act. Ooh. And then the next one's the executory word, executory set. Okay. 
executory. executory. <laughs> am, am I saying that right? <laughs> I defer to you on these things. So that right to me. that's my pronunciation today. I don't know. It sounds good. It sounds good to me. I want to find the, should I baptize an extraterrestrial book? I want to read that. Oh my gosh. It is so good. You got to read it. It's so deep and it's so interesting because it's like a oh, conversation cool. between the two men. Yeah, I love those. Super accessible, love, very fun to read. And all, I mean, that was one of those books that I'm like, I recommend to a ton of people. And that really changed my perspective because they talk about a lot of fascinating things about science just in general. But I think the historical viewpoint that they pull in about a lot of things that we have in common day or know about astronomy and how things came to be is fascinating. But then they also mm-hmm. talk about the vulnerability of science as well and how things that we take as fact, how that was created through Correct. the scientific method and yes. fallibility of, of what can occur with that as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, I love to hear, like, it was really fun. The two characters, the two men that write, wrote the book, their characters are really fun and they're, in, they're super fun. And it's all done in this really accessible way, but it does, it's, it has its moments of getting pretty deep academically, but it's still very accessible and Good and fun to read. So yeah, I just got it back from my friend who I lent it to and she's like, Oh, it was so good. And I'm like, yay. Cause I know I was supposed to lend it out, lend it out to somebody else. I can't remember who, but there was someone, <laughs> there was somebody I talked to and they're like, I really want to read it. Oh, so. <laughs> you let Bridget know. Yeah. I went- I'd mail you my copy, but I know I, I have some, no, <laughs> I can whoever get that whenever. is. I, I was reading, I've been reading, um, I read a history of the occult, which essentially is exactly what you're saying. Basically, modern science has been pit up against like religious beliefs and cult beliefs, but essentially science is just another religion. That's what they're sort of arguing from an anthropological perspective, which I'm a big nerd of. They're like, it's the same. It's not it's another set of beliefs, really. They're just beliefs. Um, but yes, and you get into the why now, and how you get into yes. that in that book, um, because they're scientists and they talk about their own experience as scientists and decision-making related to science. And you do see that it is very much like what you were just saying. (laughs) It's a belief. Yeah. And people don't like hearing this, right? Because we're living. No, makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel powerful and godly to have these absolute facts that we can discover for ourselves. Right. And And I think there's fear. Yeah. I, I think what I would just say is like, again, explore whatever you're feeling, that's your spiritual practice, right? So if you're threatened by this, look into that in yourself. Like, what is it about me that gets upset when I hear science might just be a belief? <laughs> yeah, I know. Me, you know. I love that approach because yeah, yeah I mean, that's a really well, a really awesome way to challenge yourself, you know, and we need, about anything. We need to grow. Yeah. About anything. And it doesn't mean that think less about what's true and what's not true and just wonder why what like you say ponder ponder why it upsets you I think that's probably like yes I think that's worth looking into all right I'll check that book out I'm also reading a history of astrology not astronomy which is fascinating because it's written by an astronomer um who has to grapple with why he hates astrology (laughs) oh which every scientist loves to hate. Right. And it just talks about like why there's that bias and that feeling of sort of like, well, this was when we didn't know anything. And you know what I mean? That same sort yes, of. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Attitude. That sounds like a good one to read too. 
It's very good. It's very dense and there's lots of charts. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to get to the fun stuff. With all these <laughs> charts. Don't need to know. Um, all, you know, I don't need to know Henry VIII's birth chart. That's just not something I need to <laughs> Everything that they did was calculated. Like they had to calculate it again. Isn't that wild? It's, it is wild. And I'm, I just so appreciate that skill set because I just don't have it. I'm like, if the computer can't tell me what the, what the multiplication is, like, it's amazing. I got through math, but anyway. All right. Well, have a minute. Go. Have a lovely, have a lovely, lovely weekend. Thanks. You too. Talk Good to luck. you soon. Bye. Bye. See ya. I'll be back with another episode in one week. In the meantime, check out more content on olivebranchmom.com and follow me on Instagram at olivebranchmom. Check out my show notes for links to both. Thanks for listening.